Chapter Sixteen of From Jest to Earnest by Edward P. Rowe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Like Many Waters. Chapter Sixteen How Woman Makes or Mars. In the changes that occurred after leaving the supper room, Miss Martell took Harcourt's arm and said in a low tone, I was glad to see that you did not take any wine and i am glad you cared to see but how could i after your gentle hint i know my weakness if i had indulged in one glass i might have taken too many as i am sorry has been the case in more instances than one to-night you admit then that it is a weakness she said gently fixing her eyes that were no longer cold and expressionless upon him in truth i must admit that i have many weaknesses miss martell you certainly possess one element of strength in that you recognize them knowledge of danger is often the best means of safety but how is it that you are so ready to acknowledge weakness of any kind i thought that men scoffed at the idea that they could be weak or in danger from any temptation if they do they either do not know themselves or they are not honest i do know myself to my sorrow and it would seem like sacrilege to me not to be truthful and sincere with you and yet it is when i am with you that i most despise myself how then can you endure my presence she asked with a shy half mischievous glance he flushed slightly and tried to disguise a deeper meaning with a slight laugh as he said if i were shut out of eden i should often be tempted to look over the hedge she did not reply at once nor lift her eyes to his but the color deepened upon her cheeks and if he had seen the expression of her averted face his might have appeared more hopeful after a moment she turned and said with a smile i think the fact that you would like to look over the hedge a very promising sign it proves that you regret our lost eden purity and would like to possess it again if you will only let your wishes develop into right action instead of looking wistfully over the hedge you may be welcomed within the gate of the better paradise he looked at her searchingly but she again turned away her face and would not meet his eye after a moment he said i do not think you used the pronoun our correctly there is nothing akin between my moral state and yours yes there is she replied earnestly if you struggle as hard to do right as i do you are trying very hard indeed with a quick glance of surprise he said it has ever seemed to me that you were developing as naturally and inevitably as a moss rose nonsense she answered a little abruptly i am as human as you are i have doubtless had advantages over you in being more sheltered and less tempted but in a world like ours and with natures like ours every one must struggle hard who would live a good life even then we need divine help they had now passed into a large conservatory where they supposed they were alone he took her hand and said with a manly sincerity that made his face almost as noble as hers was beautiful miss martell you are holier than i am you are as much above me as heaven is above earth and yet because you have not said to me stand aside for i am holier than thou because you have made a claim which i can scarcely understand of kindred weakness of like need of effort to do right you have given me a little hope that possibly at some distant day i may find my way out of my doubts and weaknesses i should like to be a true and believing man 
please do not think that I have it in my heart to stay stand aside to any one. Such a spirit is most unchristian, and in me it would be most unwarranted. Do not think I meant that when I repulsed Mr. Brentley. He has forfeited every right to the title of gentleman. I believe he is utterly bad, and he shows no wish to be otherwise, and I was disgusted by the flattering attentions he received from those with whom he had no right to associate at all. When will society get beyond its vulgar worship of wealth? But, Mr. Harcourt, please don't talk about a possible way out of your doubts and weaknesses at some distant day. You paid me the highest compliment in your power when you refrained from wine at supper tonight. I am going to ask a personal favor. Won't you let it alone altogether? Mr. Harcourt, she added, her eyes filling with tears. I cannot bear to think of a nature like yours becoming a slave to such an appetite. And it does seem to master those who are naturally the noblest. He turned away to hide his own feeling, while she, with clasped hands, stood looking at him as his good angel might. When he turned to her, he spoke calmly and almost humbly. I will not protest too much, Miss Martell. I will make no loud and absolute promises. But it seems to me, while I stand here in your presence, I could not do a mean or ignoble thing again. But in that degree that I revere you, I distrust myself. But I pledge you my honor that I will try to do what you ask, and more. You give me just the kind of promise I like best, she said, giving him her hand with a happy smile. But I cannot tell you how much I wish you would seek God's help, as simply, as believingly as I do. Ah, there's the trouble, he replied in deep dejection. My mind is tossed upon a sea of doubt and uncertainty. Then, as from a sudden impulse, he said, But I could worship you. You are the most beautiful woman here tonight. But instead of making your beauty the slave of contemptible vanity, and employing it, like Miss Marsden and others, merely to win flattery and attention, you turn from all, and forget yourself and your own pleasure, that you may keep a man that is hardly worth saving from going to the devil. If I go, after your kindness to-night, it will be because I ought. Here her father called her from the door. The character of the entertainment was becoming such that he was anxious to get away. As they left the conservatory, she said, in a low, hasty tone, I am not so unselfish as you think, for it would make me very unhappy if you did not become what you are capable of being. Since you care personally what becomes of me, you have given me a double incentive, he answered eagerly as they passed out. As they disappeared, Lottie Marsden stepped out from behind a large lemon tree with an expression upon her face quite as acid as the unripe fruit that had helped to conceal her. How she came to witness the scene described requires some explanation. As they left the supper-room, she shook De Forest off for a time, and when Miss Martell parted from Hemstead, she joined him. After the attention he had received, she was not in as patronizing a mood as before. "'Are you willing to take a short promenade with such a guy as I am, Mr. Hemstead?' she asked. "'Yes, if you are willing to link yourself with so much awkwardness.' "'I wish I had your grace of mind, Mr. Hemstead. "'You have no occasion to find fault with nature's gifts to you. "'I fear you think I should find much fault with myself, if not with nature, "'but I can hardly find fault with you after your kindly tact in the supper-room.' 
I wanted to join your breezy, sprightly chat, and you gave me a chance so nicely. Because I wished you to join it. It was not a deed of charity, and you well repaid me. Indeed, I saw so much thought in your face that I wanted more of the same kind. I think you see more than we give you credit for, she said, looking doubtfully at him. Yes, I am seeing a good deal here tonight. As you went to see the other set a few evenings ago, I also am seeing some new phases of character. And some new phases in one that you had a pretty good opinion of that night. I imagine you no longer consider me capable of the noblest things. I have not changed my mind on that point at all, but— and here he hesitated. But you are discovering that I am also capable of just the reverse. He flushed, but said gravely, You put my thought too strongly, Miss Marsden. It would be nearer the truth, if you care for my opinion at all, to say that I do not understand you. She also flushed, but said a little coldly, I am not surprised. I scarcely understand myself. I find you full of puzzling contradictions, he added. Since I cannot contradict you, I will seek some fallible creatures like myself. And she vanished, leaving him as uncomfortable and puzzled as ever he had been in his life. She had scarcely entered the parlor before both De Forest and Brentley sought her hand for a waltz. The latter had disgusted her before, and now he was too tipsy for even the willing blindness of girls like Addie Marchmont. So she escaped with De Forest, but soon found that his step was out of tune with the music, or her own mind so preoccupied that their feet made discord with the notes. Therefore she led her subservient attendant into the conservatory, and got rid of him for a time by the following ruse. I dropped something in the supper-room. Please find it and look till you do. De Forest's ideas were too confused for him to ask what she had lost and once in the supper-room again the champagne was so inviting that he, with Brentley and others, finished another bottle. With thoughts dwelling on Hempstead's words, she strolled to the farther end of the walk and around into another aisle, wishing to be alone for a few moments. It was then that Harcourt and Miss Martell entered, and before she was aware she heard the uncomplimentary reference to herself and understood the significance of the unexpected scene. That is what Mr. Hempstead thinks me capable of, she thought, with tingling cheeks. Making my beauty the slave of contemptible vanity, and employing it merely to win flattery and attention for myself. You put it very plainly, Mr. Harcourt. I know what is your opinion of me, certainly. I wish I cared as little what Mr. Hempstead thinks, and why I should care any more, I'm sure I don't know. Yes, I do, too. He's a true good man, and this is the first one that ever treated me as if I were a true good woman. But now I have made it clear to him, as well as to Harcourt and Miss Martell, what I really am. I knew what Brentley was, as well as the rest, and yet I smiled upon him because the others did. By this time both of my most ardent admirers are tipsy. What is their admiration worth? As she entered the parlors, she saw at a glance what would be the character of the remaining hours. The sensuous spirit of the wine would inspire the gaiety and intensify the natural excitement of the occasion. Heretofore she could join in a fashionable revel with the keenest zest, but she could not to-night. Unconsciously Miss Martell had given her a stinging rebuke. 
she had been shown how a beautiful woman might employ the power of her fascinations to lure men into purer and nobler life as hemstead had suggested the morning after his arrival as she remembered that she had used her beauty only to lure men to her feet that she might enjoy a momentary triumph soon to be forgotten in other conquests she was already more than dissatisfied with herself an unusual experience with lottie marsden she refused half a dozen invitations to dance and was about ascending to the dressing-room when harcourt met her in the hall and said i think i had better send de forest home hemstead will go with him what is the matter with julian well they say he mistook a decanter of brandy for wine at any rate he is under the table looking for something of yours he says though what he does not say or does not know what's more we can't get him up for he says you told him not to leave the dining-room till he found it i fear we shall have to use force unless you can manage him then with a burning flush of shame she remembered how in her wish to be alone she had sent him into temptation instead of trying to shield and protect as had miss martell in the case of harcourt whose abstemiousness had excited the surprise of more than one but without a word she went directly to the supper-room and there witnessed a scene that she never forgot the elegant de forest was crawling about the floor uttering her name continually in connection with the most maudlin sentiment and averring with many oaths that he would never rise till he had found what she had lost brentley almost equally drunk sat near convulsed with laughter saying with silly iteration he's looking for miss marsden's heart mrs byram and her son stood helplessly by their manner showing that their wish to be polite was almost mastered by their disgust hemstead who was trying to get de forest up had just given a stern rebuke to one of the giggling waiters as lottie entered it did not take her over a moment to comprehend all while her face was crimson she acted decidedly and with a certain dignity going directly to de forest she said julian i have found what i lost get up and come with me his habitual deference to her wishes and words served him now her tone and manner were quiet but very firm and positive and he at once sought to obey hemstead and harcourt helped him to his feet i am going home julian and i wish you to go with me she continued in the same tone certainly my dear i'll do anything in the world or anywhere else for you a look of intense disgust flitted across her face but she turned and said emphatically to the others i am more to blame for this than he i sent him here some time since when i knew or ought to have known that he should have been kept away from temptation may i trespass so far upon your kindness as to ask all present to remain silent in regard to this scene i know little of etiquette said hemstead but surely any one would fail utterly in true courtesy did they not accede to that request thank you mr hemstead said lottie with a look that he did not soon forget will you order the sleigh to the door mr harcourt will you get mr de forest's hat and coat the door leading into the parlor had been closed and locked as soon as the trouble commenced and thus the guests were ignorant of the disgraceful scene julian i wish you to sit quietly here till i return said lottie in the most decided manner he had sense enough left to know that something was wrong and that his safest course was to yield to her 
so muttering maudlin and dishevelled he sat almost helplessly in the chair where he was placed with not a trace of his former elegance left lottie looked at him a second with a strange expression then taking mrs byram aside asked will you be so kind as to have the doors to the parlors leading into the hall closed as if accidentally when we pass out adding i think if mr byram can get mr brently to his room now it would also be well mrs byram commenced many professions of regret but lottie merely said i cannot think about it now i can only act and she hastened away to prepare for the drive home a moment later de forest was steadied through the hall and helped into the sleigh shall i sit by him asked harcourt no said lottie in the same decided voice i will take care of him i was the cause of his trouble and will not leave him till he is safely home you will greatly oblige me if you will remain with addie and bell and disarm their suspicions and that of others mr hemstead will accompany me and we will all send the sleigh back immediately miss marsden said harcourt you are a noble-hearted girl i will do whatever you wish thank you for what you have done that is all the horses are restless i will sit with the coachman said hemstead surmising that lottie would desire all the seclusion possible under the circumstances he was not mistaken for as harcourt retired she said in a low tone you are right i should be glad to escape now even from your eyes that are friendly i trust yes he replied with an emphasis that did her good most friendly and they drove away through the cold white moonlight and colder and whiter snow and to lottie with her burdened conscience and heavy heart the calm night seemed more than ever like a face regarding her with cold and silent scorn End of chapter sixteen